I was born lonely down by the riverside, learned to spin the fortune wheels and throw dice. I was just 13 when I had to leave home, knew I couldn't stick around, had to roll my ain't good looking, but you know I ain't shy, ain't afraid to look a girl in the eye. So if you need some loving and you need it right away, take a little time now and maybe I'll stay, but I got to ramble. Mm -hmm. I've got to gamble. <laughs> I've got to ramble. Because I was born a rambling, gambling man. Yeah. And the irony of that selection is that I am neither a rambling nor a gambling man. I'm actually a real homebody. <laughs> I loved it. Chris, man. Very thank you passionate. Very much, I love man. That. that was... Uh, you caught us off guard, I'm man. all worn out now. It's, uh, oh, that's no, it. no, 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 no. We still need another 90 minutes I of energy. I didn't want to interrupt. I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> so we have Chris McCaskill. Yes. McCaskill. Chris McCaskill. Yes. And uh, what are we going to talk about today, Chris? What do you what want to talk about you're a fine cabinetry guy yep you're you're an artisan woodworker what are yep. we going to talk yep. about like no how that's and that's totally cool actually um a couple of things that we could touch on the difference in industries people talk a lot about custom cabinetry and what that means and uh, they throw that word custom oh, man. and it means nothing you know where i'm coming from um uh, custom can be you know a, a shark skin vanity that's we're custom. We're, we're, that we're, to me is yeah, custom. We're not, talk, we're not talking just That's changes of colors. Right? Really custom. Um, yeah. So okay, so we're gonna talk. A, we're gonna we got an interesting show. I'm excited about this one, and I know you, you took the drive all the way from London, Ontario, which is a good 90 kilometers wow. or so. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Uh, and uh, we got to take care of a little bit of housekeeping right now. Well, first I want to do a big shout out to Mark. From Skylux, Skylux for always believing in what we're doing and changing the industry. The boys are wrapping up their day, so that's why you're hearing all the uh, the noise going well, on. It's Either a lot of them working it's out in the gym. Here. That's all it is. Yeah. So thank you, Mark, for letting us use the uh, the home base here to record our podcast. What else do I want to say? Oh, wow. We're going to do a history with Manny. I can't believe he's ready. <laughs> I can't believe he's ready. I, I can't, can't believe you're not. Uh, I am ready. It's right here. <laughs> Chris, I want to ask you, there's a few questions here. I want to ask you, and I'm assuming you probably know this. I'm sure Carlito won't. Hmm. Um, Even though I've been getting them right. <laughs> where does the word kitchen come from? That's a great question. I have no idea. Well, <laughs> you got me stumped also. Okay, so, so Manny, it, where does the word kitchen it, come from? It, it's a Latin a verb. It comes from coquire, meaning okay. to cook. The connection between coquille and cook is easy to see, but kitchen has more evolved in history from the verb of coquille. Came from... Did you uh, say cocaine? Coquina. Oh. <laughs> coquina meaning a kitchen uh, with some changes in pronunciation where it became Old English and um, sisin. I can't remember exactly. This became Middle English kitchenini, which finally became Modern English kitchen. Wow. That's Phenomenal. Not, Very that's interesting. Not the, that's not all of the history. I wanted to ask Chris, what are the six different types of kitchen layouts? There are six basic types of kitchen layouts. Okay, and that is, a, that is a good question. One thing to understand with me is that I'm not at the design end of things. 
I am oh. very much at the work. But you've seen things. a lot of different I've seen a lot of kitchens. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of. So take a guess. I mean, I didn't. I, I knew about two of these to be honest. I mean, you're you're gonna have a galley kitchen. That's definitely one of them. That's definitely one. A completely open kitchen. You get into some really great French names for um, different types of restaurant kitchen as well. But well, these these go off shapes, and these all. The, so this is more design based, right? Mm-hmm. So you do have the galley. You have the U-shaped kitchen. So I guess it's kind of a galley that turns around. Yeah, it's also probably got to do with um, production flow. Oh, that's right. right. So that's more like commercial restaurant kind of setup. Yeah, but I mean, you also get into um, you know strange situations. Uh, well, not very particular uses. So um, a spice kitchen versus yes. a, a cold kitchen. Right? Yes. Interesting. Nice. Um, you get into L-shaped kitchens. Mm-hmm. You get into island kitchens. You get into peninsula kitchens. And you get into, I don't even know what this is, the two island kitchen. What is that? Well, it's going to be a two island kitchen. So it's just two islands. That's all it is. Sure. So I, I take it one is to eat at and one is to wash your dishes and so on. Possibly. It could also be a kosher issue. Could, that, I was right? about to say wow. that. Exactly. I was about to say that. So the last section of today's history, can you guys tell me the world's most expensive woods? <laughs> woods. <laughs> woods. So there's the more than woods. one. So I'll just give you guys an idea. African black wood. Mm-hmm. $10,000 per kilogram. What? Agar wood. I don't even know what a gar wood is. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. $10,000 per kilogram. Uh, ebony. I yeah. never knew ebony was... $10,000 wow. per kilogram. What? Sandalwood. $20,000 per kilogram of no sandalwood. So one of the questions is, how many board feet in a kilogram of each of these woods? Well, that's a very good question. Right? That's going to yeah. have to do with density. And you have that. to figure that out. The other four are pink ivory, mm-hmm. seven to eight per board foot. Lignum, lignum vitae. Lignum vitae. Okay, so uh, or ironwood. That is the cheapest one here at five dollars per pound. Okay, thank uh, God. Purple heart. I love purple heart wood. Uh, Eleven ninety nine per board foot. And then you have Dalbergia, uh, Dalbergia, D A L B E R G I A. Fourteen to sixteen per board foot. That wasn't an order though. No, it's not an order. Yeah. I'm just saying we're a long way away from pine and spruce oh, gotcha. and ash and yeah. hickory. I just I, I I remember the first time I was walking through one of these places and I was coming across the Africans, the mahoganies, the sandal, the purple, and I was like, whoa, I can't believe all this. But then you also find out how rare yes. these woods are. Yeah. Right. So now, now the question is, is that is that used in furniture or building kitchens? It's both. From yeah. my understanding. Uh, most expensive uh, lumber that I've ever used was um, an Indonesian rosewood. So an honest-to-goodness genuine rosewood, which when I purchased that in the early 90s, it would have been $87 a board foot. Wow. So today is, I it, is, it as, is it red? Uh, no, it's, it's brown. I mean, it's it, a brown, It's yeah. funny because it, um, I mean, you've got to know what you're looking at. Where you, where you really see the difference is when you're working it. It's uh, quite dense and very spicy. In terms spicy of, as in hot? No, it's fragrant. Wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. You can get that with teaks as well. Um, but a lot of these, a lot of these woods are are just not commonly available. No. They they generally have pretty specific applications, right? You might yes. be looking at museum grade restorations. You know, the, the the teak we were working with recently. Uh, I was working with something for a friend at home, turning these spheres uh, that ultimately were going to be submerged in water. And it will actually survive. Yeah, sure. Totally fine. Uh, they used to make. Um, they used to use uh, ironwood, the lignum vitae, to make ball bearings for uh, water jets. Uh, for, oh for wow! Water pumps. Okay, 
That was history <laughs> with Manny. <laughs> now, so would that we, be? Hang on, we got we got like a huge show here. I, still I know. Even, what, you I just have, got me going. I haven't even gotten into so. To find you, Chris, it's uh, at Chris McCaskill, and it's spelled with an M-C-K-A-S-K-E-L-L. Yes, sir. And also, you can find your partner in crime, which is Chris Hindo. That's right. And so, it's the uh, same thing, H-I-N-D-L. H-I-N-D-L, yes. Yes. And then on the website, it's www.mhdbonline.com. Or MHDB online. Online. MHDB online. And you can also catch these guys with through email with info at that same address and also the phone number. Who uses phone number, Carlito? Area code is 519-318-4800. Yeah, the 318-4800 is my cell phone number. People are always welcome to reach out to me. Text. We've got, a, we've got an office number as well, but we, we tend not to be in the office a whole lot. No, you guys are working. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've got all the housekeeping out of the way, let's get right back to your story, Chris. Sure. Do what you do you guys start? want to tell us? Where do you guys want to begin? Like, where, how, Are you our age or a little younger? No? We're, we're pushing 50. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in my uh, early, mid-50s. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're yeah, all so right. We're, we're contemporaries. <laughs> we're contemporaries. Working hard is doing well for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like the relaxation of being in a shop floor. <laughs> so how far back do we go from the time that you... Have you always been in, in wood, in, in, in this industry? Oh, no. No? No. What were you um, before? Where did you get started? Gee whiz. I, okay, this is the industry I always wanted to be in. I always wanted to make stuff from the various earliest age. Uh, and what got me started, what really sort of helped was bring back, bring back elementary and high school shop classes. We always say that. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame that they're quickly disappearing. That early exposure makes all the difference That's in the world. Huge. I think all three of us well, at this table experienced that in our high school years no no phenomenal yeah phenomenal well, it, the appreciation for the machines yes. you, you don't get to have that you, you don't get to uh, you know experiment with your money buying stuff like that so doing it in school you really get to appreciate it and then when you're a mature adult you get to buy the things that you know you need but there, there's i mean there's also the the physical intelligence right which isn't really rewarded in an academic setting right so it tends to be discouraged on the shop floor you know within a few moments whether somebody's got physical three-dimensional spatial intelligence or or not i and never looked at it that way that is so true you well could, it, it's you funny you can talk a big game but can you play the big game no it, it's funny you say that because i remember in woodshop class mm. like there was about three of us we'd finish our project in a week right the rest of them would work on it the whole year and i'd finish like 10 projects yeah. making things that i wanted and the teacher would be like what are you making? And I'd be like, nunchucks. <laughs> Brilliant. What are you using? Bamboo. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, what, were, what, what was that first thing that you built? Was it nunchucks? No, no. Actually, I made a... Uh, we had to make like little toys at the beginning. Mine was just a checkerboard. To find out. checkerboard. He wanted to find out if we were capable of not cutting our hands off and if we had some kind of intelligence, like you said. But my first real project that I chose was actually like a bench. And uh, I gave it to my parents, and it was amazing. A teacher actually loved it, and he's like, you should, you, should, you should make them a whole bunch of these. And I'm like, yeah, 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 sure, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and I should have. <laughs> what was your first one, Chris? Always making stuff, even before uh, going into industrial arts class in, what, grade seven we had it. But I remember uh, the first thing, the first project that we had in uh, grade seven would have been casting resin. And so wow. we had to sort of... In grade seven, you guys are casting, casting resin? resin yeah. Wow. And so, you know, base of acrylic, we 
ended up cutting uh, cutting our initials out of uh, this thin aluminum sheet stock and then peening it to give it a little bit of texture and then casting resin around that, machining the resin. Not machining, actually. We had this fantastic old... Um, CNC uh, machine? No, no. We're talking, we're this talking like 1970s. This is a back. He, <laughs> no, but, he's our age, but man. But back then, we had machine shops, and you could kind of like... Yeah, no CNC machines, no. CNC. Um, but, uh, uh, 40 years so ago. So we, 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 we were doing everything with hand saws and, you know, planes and uh, hand planes, and, uh, and it was just it was a wonderful experience. I actually, I actually managed to work in a shop at one point, briefly, about six months. Uh, he didn't do well. But it was a shop after university that I was working in. He was cutting everything by hand as well. Still old school. Still old school, yeah. Did he have all the saws and everything? Like all the... Yeah, yeah. Would those, those things have a place? What are those? Like, th there's a name for those, aren't they? Those All those specific kind of hand tools that those guys use that actually cut their own dovetails and set up that whole jig system. Those, what are they? The back saws? Or the, the, yeah. The, yeah, those yeah you the, can use a back saw. For, that's for, all it is, right? But um, dovetails are... The nails are kind of a touchy-feely thing. I mean, you can you know you can use the lead jig and route them out using a machine yeah. and, and, a, and a jig with a, a form. What's cool about getting good at hand-cut dovetails, though, is you don't lay anything out. You just you might strike a baseline, and then you can sort of feel your way through. Oh, oh yeah, really? Feel your way through the wood, chop it out. There's some video. If you check out the um, my Instagram account, you'll you'll see me. Some of the videos there. Yeah, Manny's right. totally excited. No, by no, no. That, I, that, <laughs> that's impressive. But the, the point is, is that when it becomes comfortable, then you can actually start to play with it. So it becomes. That, I think that's probably where it begins to become art. And yeah. so no two dovetails are alike. Each drawer piece wow. is made specifically for that drawer, and it's all hand laid out. And when you get good at it, it's actually surprisingly fast. So it's very personal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. so cool. And I think I think sometimes you know when you get into the uh, the higher end custom stuff, a lot of times the client is looking for that personal connection with the maker. They're looking for those little little micro defects, right? Like yes. they don't want it to be so machine perfect. Like well, hand carving. I know um, that's what that's what you appreciate. Right. So when I'm when I'm carving, you know, one one of the things that that really stands out is. Um, how imperfect it is, mm -hmm. but how it's consistently imperfect. Yes. And it creates this kind of beauty that, I mean, I love, um, first time we, um, we, we do this sort of reeded pattern in solid panels, they end up becoming doors or, or maybe panels in, uh, in drawers or whatever, but the first time we displayed it was at the interior design show, um, this is several years ago, we ended up uh, positioning the cabinet at the end of an aisle. And as people, you know, maybe maybe 150 meters away, as they saw the cabinet, you could see their eyes light up, and they'd move towards it. And I spoke, <laughs> I spoke with a number. I mean, what was going through, what was going on in their head was, wow, I've never seen figure like that in a in a piece of wood. And so they're moving to. And as they get closer, they realize, wait a minute, that doesn't look like figure. There's something wrong with this. And they they speed up and they get closer again. They begin to realize that this isn't figure at all. It looks to be some kind of texture. And invariably, everybody would reach out and have to touch it. Wow. Isn't that isn't that weird how that is? Eh? What a connection, it, eh? Right, totally. And then the next question was invariably, what machine did you use to make this? Why do everybody? Why like I can't stand that. Why can't they just uh, accept the fact that someone actually hand did yeah. this? Yeah, because nobody believes it. Anybody doing it it's anymore? It's still being done. Yeah. It's still yeah. being done. That's why you got to respect it. It's true though that they would they they need to touch it, mm -hmm. and then they need to question what machine. Well, and the really interesting thing, um, I mean, the the the, the trade not the trade off, but the uh, the relationship between handcrafting something in a shop space and construction 
is that construction is all hands. I mean, you get these moments. So th there's a huge relationship. I, it is. I, I mean, I see this. I see this well said. continuum. You know, kind of going from digging out for the foundation, pouring the footing, framing everything on top of it, making things. Kind of starts with uh, the house structure and it ends with the furnishings. You're totally right. Wow. So we're all we're all in this together, guys. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna quote you, Chris. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Please do. I, I did want to say something. Most people want to touch things. I want to <clears throat> smell things. Okay. I have a crazy thing for smelling wood. Like I'll, not that kind of wood either. <laughs> so I'll see wood and I'll be like, and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have to smell it. <laughs> oh, so, so you would love something like Indonesian rosewood, right? It's, it's got that lovely spicy smell. But, you know, super toxic, so you got to be careful. Don't, don't smell too much of it. <laughs> oh, is it really? Oh, sure, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you've got to protect yourself. You've got to so you got to be wearing a respirator when you're actually milling it and working with it? You should. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny you say that because a lot of wood that comes over here stays dormant for like six months in a, in a warehouse before it's released. Yes. But the minute you cut into it and heat hits it, whatever life that was in there that's gone dormant now comes alive again. And that's and always a you can get too. sick, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. you can. Yeah, no, so we got totally we got totally sidetracked on a bunch of things because I think we started with the rosewood and then it went into trade schools and then it went. I don't, <laughs> know. I don't know. I was trying to catch up and figure out. I, I, I know, I, but that's garage. I, talk. I know, which is amazing. <laughs> which is totally amazing because I'm so respectful of it and I'm trying to figure out. So, where was that beginning for you? Where did it all start? How did it? Just... <gasps> yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I always knew I wanted to make stuff. No, no question about that. But, you know, my father is a professor, and the expectation was I was going to go to university. And so there was zero support. Uh, and I don't mean financial support. I mean, there was no emotional support. As, as, it, was, as I, it was at that and time. I am not strongly academic, right? I'm having a tough time just sitting here. I want to get up and, and, and move around as we're talking, right? <laughs> if you want to stand, yeah. stand, man. A -D -D, I, I, I have it too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, um, so getting through, so, so, you know, I did go, I started in theater at, uh, I went to York, did the theater program. There, That's right. Which was, which was an awful lot of fun. Uh, I went into stagecraft. Uh, so early formal training was building sets and sets. light lighting, learning lighting and all that sort of centuries. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you put, weeks and sometimes months of effort into a production that then gets tossed in the bin. <laughs> so the, the ephemeral nature of this stuff, like the amount of effort, we, the huge teams of people were putting into this stuff just to see it get tossed out. Just make you cry. Really offensive. It yeah. just make you cry. So I, I know. I ended up... Um, bin diving. Well, no. I, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I dropped out of that program, picked up at, at U of T and did a degree in art history and physical geography. And I paid my way through university working as a carpenter. So I've got, I've got two trade licenses. Um, I've got the, the carpenter's ticket, and I've got the cabinet maker's ticket. So general wow. carpenter and cabinet maker. And that, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I see making stuff as being a continuum from foundation up to furnishings. And yeah. we totally agree. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, for sure. But there's a, you have such a, a wider appreciation for this whole industry. Like just being into, like listening to you talk about the different types of wood, most people don't even know what that is. Mm. They, or they'll never handle it in their whole life. Right. So you being a furniture, obviously you're a furniture maker. When you get into funny situations too, where, where different people will use different words for the same wood, right? So um, in, in carpentry, we often think of white wood being paint grade, white wood. Poplar. We call it poplar. Yeah. And, and you know, some, you'll get into some woody guys who are calling it tulip. Yeah, um, I've heard it called tulip as well. Right. Yeah. And um, so sometimes you kind of, it's really good to have other people's perspective or other trades perspectives, not just for on-site sympathy and working together, right? 
If we're all in this together, then you're more likely to leave the site tidy for the next guy. You're more likely to be problem solving and thinking about what the next guy needs. Exactly. I love working with electricians and plumbers when we're doing when we're when we're doing kitchen installs, coordinating with the, those guys and the GC. It's a team. Is yes, and we're all working towards the same end goal, yeah. which is this beautiful project. Yeah. Even when it's like even when it's not high end stuff. Oh, what's really funny is when you guys all stand back and it's all completed, everything's all clean, and everyone's looking at everything. You know the electrician's looking at the lighting. You know you're looking at the cabinetry. <laughs> you know like the stone guy's looking at the countertop. Everybody's just looking at yeah, theirs, right? But I think you got you said something really important. A lot of people don't think the way you do, mm. and they just go and it's just a job. And it shows in their workmanship, it right? Does. Yeah. So it does. you being passionate. Yeah. So so not just looking at the cabinetry, but then looking at how the electrical covers line up. You know, did the guy clock the screws? <laughs> <laughs> did he? <laughs> wait, I mean, the screw, I'm still surprised. People are still using screw plates. They're right. Not, they're sure. not going screwless plates. Wait, wait, wait. Why don't you ask him what style? Okay, so vertical, hang on. So horizontal. What, what, where do you expect that slotted screw to be, vertical or horizontal, on a single gang? Sure. Um, Which one? And do you that's prefer? really funny because for years I was doing it horizontal. I've always done it horizontal, man. <laughs> right? That's why. And and then um, I had an electrician uh, school me, and he insisted on it being vertical because that's the way he was taught. And it's so sometimes that stuff comes out of your training, right? Like um, yes, you know, in in the wood shop. I mean, I haven't been doing much sharpening right now, but um, there's usually a bald patch on this arm. From testing, sorry, from testing uh, the sharpness of your blade, and you know I, I can tell where somebody was trained if they've got that right. So I mean, Andreas, Andreas, our master Swiss, uh, you know, licensed both as a pipe organ builder and as a cabinet maker out of Switzerland, has always got the same. Oh bald my spot in his god, head, right? I'm never going to look at a carpenter the same way again. Well, and, and if you don't see that bald spot, the shit's not not sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's true, man. We're going to look at Tony differently. We're going to look at everybody differently now. Oh, that's too funny, man. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so I paid my way through university working as a general carpenter during a boom. And um, when I was up in Robarts, this was when, um, so this is like I graduated in 1990. Um, so this is a few years ago. There was this whole section, like they'd updated all the catalogs so that it was on one computer-based system. And I ended up finding when I was up there just strolling the stacks, all these books from the 19th century, right? So 1880s, 1890s, Ooh. on how, like, it was these master craftsmen. People weren't apprenticing anymore because they were getting these, you know, higher paying jobs or, or easier to make quick money in the factories kind of jobs. And so they were no longer signing up for apprentices, apprenticeships. And so these, these guys who had been doing their shit for, decades, 40, 50 years, we're starting to record their knowledge in books. And there's a, so there's about a 20 year span where you've got this collection of books that the university doesn't value, so they haven't updated it into the computer system. You've got to actually physically go up there and find these things. And I started reading these and realized that they're kind of, at that point in my life, there were two ways to go. One was to embrace craft and learn how to use my hands really well, which I was, inclined to anyway and the other was to go high tech right and learn how to use a computer and do really well in that you know my friends who went that route uh have got much nicer houses than i, I are feel they like, happy don't get psychology <laughs> <laughs> and that's 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 perhaps a you know another session uh, yes <laughs> but uh the point is you know if, if you know how to make stuff i think that there's generally always something to do 
one of, one so of the true. Th- it's so true, man. One of the things I really res- like, this is kind of weird. I really respect about you is I'm now looking at the band-aids on your thumb <laughs> and like, I can see that you're hands on. Oh yeah. Well, you so. just came from the shop. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I took enough time to have a shower. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Get know. ready. But you basically had the shop day. That's yes. what they had oh, yeah. going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Today, today, <laughs> today was a fast paced day. Yeah. Uh, I, and <sighs> obviously your, your blades aren't sharp. No, not today. <laughs> <laughs> not today. So how long has, has your shop been going now? And, and when did you partner up with the other Chris? Heindel and I have been working together for um, 25 years. Oh, wow. So yeah. you guys like kids, friends, or university yeah, I days. I mean, um, I think he and I started McCaskill Heindel when I was, you know, I was around 28, I think. I finished university and went immediately to work for uh, a pipe organ builder. Uh, so, so my apprenticeship... I mean, I got the I got the construction hours, the carpentry hours in through university, and then a couple of years, you know, sporadic years after, uh, but enough to write the exam. The cabinet making stuff really started with. I mean, at that time, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of work available. This was the the big recession at the beginning of the '90s. I ended up spending a couple of years with a Swiss master wood carver. Couple of years in an architectural woodworking place. Few years uh, building pipe organs. How did you find all these guys? Like, how I did looked you- for them. You hunt them? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, as soon as I was done university, because I, I, like I said, my, my dad, like I, I, they really wanted me to go to university. And so as soon as I did that, boom, I was free. And wow. So eh? I, I wrote letters. I would go to the library and go through the yellow pages from different cities looking for... The yellow pages, I yeah, love yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously? <laughs> so, you, so different city yellow pages, and that's yeah, how so, you so, found so these so guys? I, I, yeah, so, so um, um, you know, you pull out Halifax, you pull out Vancouver, you pull... Anyway, I, I ended up making, making a list of these masters who were doing their, their stuff, and I wrote letters to them. And some of them wrote back, and so I went and wow. visited... I mean, I traveled across Canada and visited a bunch of them. They all sort of had similar stories. They're a little bit older and been doing their stuff for a long time. As I'm returning to Toronto, because I lived in Toronto at the time, did a decade in Toronto. Uh, as I got back to Toronto, somebody suggested I, I check out Siggy Bueller, and you know, check him out on Instagram. He's he's not using hashtags and stuff like that, so people aren't discovering him. But Siggy Bueller is a Swiss master woodcarver. The stuff he's doing is phenomenal. I tracked him down, went to his house several times over about a month or two month period because he really didn't want to take me on. Convinced him. I worked for free for the first year. So I'm sweeping wow. floors, I'm learning how to sharpen tools, six months just sharpening tools. Because that's, if you, people get all romantic and, and excited about how to sharpen their tools. Bullshit, just get it, just get it sharp, <laughs> right? And do it really well. And, you know, so as soon as, as, soon as you figured out sharpening enough, you, know, you became useful in other ways. And after about a year, I'd gotten good enough that he was willing to pay me. And then you get into the repetitious stuff, right? Like egg and dart molding and uh, running a campus and stuff like that. We did a ton of, that year we did an absolute ton of white oak swags. And so, uh, so um, you know, kind of think about um, like a white oak White oak leaf. Oh yeah, vine, I know what you're talking about. Acorns. You did a ton of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they had to be done, and wow. and so there you got you know you're you're roughing the thing out. It's probably a curved piece of wood, usually white oak, so it's really tough, and you end up uh, you know tracing out or drawing out the pattern. You'll route the background by hand on this curved piece of wood, and then you get in there with a mallet and a and a gouge and shape things. I'm I'm picturing Mr. Miyagi here, and you're building the whole backyard for this guy. Is well, that what's going on? So then, um, uh, so that's that's in a small basement shop uh, around Castle Walma. Um, wow, he's not there anymore. 
but he's still here in Toronto. Totally worth looking up. Uh, he and I are still in touch. And that sort of shifted into pipe organ building again. So I, um, you know, things were getting really tough in Toronto in terms of money. Moved back to London uh, and worked for Gabriel Ney and company. So Gabriel Ney was a German pipe organ builder um, who had been in business for about 40 or 45 years by the time I joined him. And I had enough carving experience that I was the guy who got to do the, the pipe shades, so all the really fancy, wow. frilly stuff on the front of the on, on the front of the pipe organs. Ton of fun. Oh, if you're ever if you ever get the chance, be inside a pipe organ when it's being played. What? It's, it's like a. I'm not a religious person. Like, that is a religious experience. Really? Just oh. the acoustics, just the way. And you're surrounded by sound. Wow. And it's not. A, so we were building tracker action. Sorry, tracker action pipe organs, which means that the key is actually mechanically attached to the valve through a series of you know pulleys and trackers and things, so that you can kind of control the amount of wind that's going into the pipe by the amount of pressure on the key. Completely different playing technique, right? It completely changes the sound, and you, you know you're up inside this thing, and the sound because you've got maybe ten thousand pipes in one of these things, the sound could be coming from anywhere. Anyway, cool stuff. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm mesmerized because this all began by you taking the initiative of Yellow Pages and reaching yes. out and trying to find who is who. I wanted to learn this. Wow, I like that a lot. How did how did they handle you? Did they respect you for coming to them? <laughs> yes, and some of them I stayed. Um, some of them we remained uh, pen pals for a while. And to that end, I mean, every single person I've ever worked for, I'm still in touch with. Wow. So, and that's how long have I been working? Thirty. Thirty plus. Four, yeah. So were they all willing to? I get the sense that they wanted to share this knowledge. They wanted to pass it on to somebody, but else. not to anyone. No, not just that, anybody. That's no. exactly it. And and with all of those sorts of positions, there's a huge because there's such an emotional um, investment Connection, in it, yeah. right? Because it's not easy work, and it also requires a certain kind of wiring. I think yeah. patience. It does. Yeah, it does. You know, as an example, when I started working at Gabriel's, my job was drilling holes. Before they would trust me, I had to spend four or five months just drilling different sized holes in the soundboards before the days of CNC, right? So it all was done on a, on a on press. An old general drill press. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's just, uh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> Not anymore, <laughs> but there yeah. must, there must be some people still making these things by hand, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no sound absolutely. like that, right? Yes. I mean, the, the market for pipe organs, uh, and, and if, if there was still a strong market for pipe organs, I'd still be doing it. But, I mean, again, it's a, it's a horrible wage, and it's an extremely rare thing now. So, um, Did it pay off the university? Working as a carpenter during a building boom in Toronto, um, I came out of university owing, uh, I think I might have taken $1,000 in OSAP. And I had that paid off. I'm that not summer, surprised. Right. I'm not surprised. Um, my my only regret from those days was not buying the house that we were living in because it was available of for sixty five thousand dollars. You know, today it's about eight hundred <laughs> or more <laughs> or more. Yeah. But I'm also fascinated that you basically had a piece of so many different like industrial art and design, and then pipe, and then woodworking. You had like a piece of everything to get you to where you were headed. Yep. Was that just by accident, or were you kind of a little, a little bit by design. Okay. It occurred to me that if you're going to own a business that's creative and makes things, you really need to know your shit. And what, one of the biggest compliments that I've gotten from, from more than a few of the youngins, right, is that I, I know my shit about every single trade. 
I could I could hold my own. There's a reason why that is, right? So then I don't talk shit when it comes to the industry, and I can say, yeah, I can literally take up your tools and do your job if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I actually want to be on the phone and have an extra special. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> you know, like, likewise, as, as the general in a situation like that, you've got a sense of everybody else's perspective yes. and what their priorities are, which yes. means that you can help to massage those awkward social moments when you know, workers are being workers and they don't get along. Well, and, even more important, you can stop the bullshit. Right. Yeah. You know, when someone's trying to bullshit, you just say, shut up, yeah. move over. Let me show you how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's take a little pause for, Oh, cons- building construction. <laughs> talk. <laughs> he doesn't even know any of these. I segments. was so captivated. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I, I, we, Chris, we got to get back to your story, but we want to just share a little bit of information regarding, um, building code talk. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to test Carlito again. Cause this has actually been expressed on the podcast before. Dum, dum, dum. What's the minimum or sorry, the maximum allowance between electrical outlets in a kitchen. Cannot be further than this apart. You know this. Are you putting your hand up or are you telling me three feet? <laughs> Go ahead. 60 inches. 60? There's, I got 48. Oh, no, it's uh, 48 now. Right, yes, that changed. 48. So it used yeah. to be 60. Yeah. 48. Was it really 60? A long time ago. And um, around a sink, it is 11 inches. And it's 11 and 7 eighths inches. Correct. Wow. Correct. Around a sink outlet. That's a, that was the next follow-up question, right? So I also wanted to ask you, gentlemen, uh, let's get a little plumbing here. Venting an island sink. How do we vent an island sink? There's no walls. Cheater pipe. That's the... That's not in the code, is it? That's not. That's no, but it is. A, it is. It, it, it passes. As long as, it, as, long as it's it, accessible, it passes. Like if you don't have it hidden, and there's like an access panel to get to it. It's legal. So, so the, the one-way valve inside right. a cabinet. Yeah. Correct. I, I have yet to see that in one of our installs. Well, you, that's why it's a cheater. But I don't like it. I always prefer the code way, where you actually have to put your vent within 36 inches from the tailpiece. That's all it is. That's all they care about. And then you can, you can drag it along to a wall section and get it out of there, right? That was building code talk <laughs> with Manny. And I was thinking we were going to talk about distance to flammable surfaces from that from a stove. Uh, that we talked about that already. We did that. We did a whole kitchen one, and we talked about it, and, and he was all shocked and how close he could. And it's it, amazing. It, it's actually pretty impressive there. But um, hang on. So we're talking to Chris McCaskill, okay? And you can find them at, at Chris McCaskill. So it's M-C-K-A-S-K-E-L-L. Uh, you can also find his partner in crime there, Chris Heindel. And that's H-I-N-D-L. And then also online at www.mhdbonline.com. And it's also info at that same address. And then you want to reach out to him, text him. 519, he's in the London area, Ontario, 318-4800. Chris, let's get well, back I to wanna, Just before we go too far away from this and I forget, I wanted to ask, when you went for your carpentry, were these some of the things that they talked about when you were taking your license or getting your red seal? Well, because um, you said 60. So that at one time, that was something you passed at that point, right? And, and, it, and it changes, right? Um, what was interesting about writing the exam was that they provided you with a copy of the relevant portions of the building code. Uh, so to your trade or, yeah, to, or to your to, even even to the exam oh, in particular. Okay. Um, and the exam is interesting, right? I, I mean, I was lucky enough. I, I served on the cabinet maker trade board at the Ontario College of Trades for two appointments, that's, you know, uh, five, six years. One of the cool things we got to do was work on creating the new cabinet maker exams. 
And, wow. Yeah, which was totally awesome, right? So, so you know, a committee of us uh, worked on editing, and which meant that, um, you know, we had to do all the exams as well as a group. How far back is this? What are we talking about? This here? isn't that long ago. Um, the, the new exam, like the, the government guideline is these exams have to be renewed every five years. And um, so we got to take part in the creation of the trade standard, so the, the apprentice booklet. That's going to be quite an honor. I mean, oh, like, it was amazing. your words, it was awesome. your ideas are in that book. So one of the really interesting th- things I thought was there was a question about turning. It was asking what kinds of tools you might use for a particular kind of application. And I mean, I've done a lot of spindle turning. I would never use a scraper. But the correct answer is the scraper. And we talked about this as a group because we're not, we're not testing mastery. We're testing competence. So all you're trying to do with those exams is get people to a point where they know enough that they know where to find the answers to their questions and they know when they need to ask a question. That's but that's something you have to go to school to understand. Like you couldn't cha- you couldn't challenge that as an, as as an although a, a senior school, to like kind of get that and not go to school, right? Yeah, You'd have to go yeah. to school. To you got to demonstrate that. the hours yeah. in, and, which is why you know young folks out there, if you're thinking about grandfathering the exam. Stay in touch with your former employers because you're going to need to get a letter signed that, that outlines the kind of work that you've been doing with them as well as the number of hours you've accomplished. But the, the school portion is only a fraction, like a tiny, tiny fraction of the amount of on-job hours you end up doing. And that's the part that really matters. So you want to get in with a, a good crew where you're going to learn a lot. Now, is that realistic what you guys were putting on those questions? Yeah, Absolutely. Something that you would use so, every day in reality, so one not of the just things in that, school. One of the things we did on the committee was we took all the exams. We all, we all wrote the exams. So we wrote all the exams that we had in a pile, including the, the new ones. And then we would go through the answers. And more often than not, like you know, probably 80% of the time, we all got exactly the same answers. So you just pass, 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 pass. Every now and again, you come up with a question where we all got different answers or we disagreed. And that's where you'd stop and examine the validity of the question. Wow. So that was one of them was, you know, when you're, when you're turning, um, I don't even remember what it was, a, a, a bead to use a scraper or a skew chisel. It's a pretty rare school that even teaches wood turning, right? They just don't cover it. One high school in London that I'm aware of is, that actually still does wood turning. But, you know, otherwise, oh, speaking of which. What's that? I brought you guys presents. Yes, we, we like love presents. presents. <laughs> so, and and I, I, I couldn't find um, I couldn't find a better bag. And That's I, a perfect well, bag. And, and my wife said, if these guys are anything like you, they're going to find the, the pretty red hearts really funny. But um, so one of the areas that what, I'm... What's, what's, what's going on here? Well, have, 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 as Manny reaches and grabs <laughs> it, it's mine. <laughs> oh, look at that. So man. one oh, of the you... things I'm really weak on Wood? is bolter. I knew it. Oh, that's sick. Did you make this? And watch this. I'm going to smell it now because you can't see. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's beautiful. So those are, those are two bowls. I haven't turned a bowl since grade eight. And Carlito I thought, hasn't turned a bowl since last week. So I, I thought, <laughs> so I, I made these for you guys last night. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Wow. Thanks, Chris, man. And there's a story behind the wood that is, well, here. Okay. Skill testing question for you guys. What, what kind of wood is that? I was just about to ask you. It is a very common local I, I, wood. You'll never get it, but try. Gumwood. No. Eastern eucalyptus. Um, not gumwood. Um, well, because I was just looking at the grains. It looked and it, the color. It looks similar though, doesn't it? Yeah, the yeah. orangey. Yeah. Well, yeah. and this will change. This will get quite a bit more brown. The reason it's so light right now is because I turned these last night. 
Wow. Um, I love the smell of that. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's so personal. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And you know what? Now the bag really means a lot. (laughs) Because at first I was like, okay, there's a little bit of a problem here. But now there was a lot of love put into this. Thank you. Let's go a step further. Um, uh, So my wife and I took down this tree. Uh, It's a mulberry. Oh, that's, that's what, what mulberry looks like. So yeah. there's a whole story to this thing. Well, so yeah, so um, uh, and, and this actually ties into your last podcast, which was you know get out there and buy a duplex. In 2003, we did. You know, we kept the mulberry trees <laughs> for as long as we could because uh, I like the fruit. Um, but they had gotten big enough that they were starting to damage the houses on either side. So I had to cut them down. And for the most part, we ended up burning the wood. But this particular piece I kept because one of the apprentices was asking me questions several years ago about how wood changes color with sunlight. And so we, we, I, I took this piece of firewood. This is, this is a piece of firewood. I took this piece of firewood into the shop. We masked off one half of the, of the board, and we left it for about a year. And then we pulled the masking off a year later, and sure enough, the area that yeah, that's had been covered was you. just like that. The lightness and the darkness of it. And then the, the other area that hadn't been masked, beautiful, deep brown wood. And you don't use mulberry for anything, but... So this was what was left over. It's very light. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? And um, and, and what's hard. the purpose of this bowl? What, like, like oh. what was your intent on the bowl? I, or is okay. that a personal thing for so each you, you'll, person? You'll see that there's a number on the bottom of the bowl, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, you guys have got T3 and T4. T4. I, I managed to get four bowls out of this piece of firewood. The, number one was the first bowl I have turned since grade eight. So I don't turn bowls. But I decided the other day, that's a hole in my knowledge. I need to learn how. And that's so these are, the, these are among the first four bowls from this piece of firewood that was saved for an apprentice. That's amazing. And here we are. Wow. Oh, thank, thank you, Chris, you. so much. That is amazing. This is like beyond. Nobody's, nobody's ever going to top this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I just thought it looked like a cereal bowl. So no, it's perfect. You, we you love know, it, man. I, I may even put a strap on and smell it all day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> just ruined it. No, for thank me. you so much. That's amazing. Oh, thanks. You're most welcome. Uh, how do we get to that? Where do we? F- we were talking about building code stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think this came out of a, a question about uh, distances between uh, receptacles. No, but also hanging on to the apprenticeships, and then also your yep. mentors finding guys and yep. staying stay in touch with them yep. the same way that you have, and then you haven't turned a bowl since grade eight, and here you are doing it again just to sharpen the tools. I I want to get really good at this. I can see this is a is an excellent retirement project. Oh, for sure. Well, it's really funny is that I, I was working with KS and company, Corp, whatever. Your handle is Chris, uh, Christian and Dustin. Yeah. I love and, those guys. Uh, and all of a sudden, Dustin came in and he's walking up the sidewalk and he's holding a piece of walnut with a, a line of hickory in it, right? And he goes, I'm making some cutting boards, right, for a client. And I'm like, great, great. So during the course of the day, I turn around and I see him using my planer as he's playing down the hickory just to get it smooth. And I'm like, <laughs> it's my job site, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe a bowl try a bowl next time <laughs> uh i want to i want to get back into um how did you get into kitchens how did you find because you've done some very interesting kitchen cabinetry everyone knows and i'm sure you you might know as well i am a huge fan of shaker i absolutely love white shaker it's amazing it's beautiful it's my go-to it's perfect <laughs> what's he doing 
I'm, he I'm making, listening a moment ago. No, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, but I, yeah, he's a joke. He hates Shaker. Um, no, you know what? There was something I wanted to ask, and I didn't want to interrupt, and I don't want to lose the thought, go, and I want to bring go. it back. Because we were talking about school. One of the, one of the things that always comes up with, with us talking about school, was it worth it? Like, did it pay off to be in a trade and take schooling? Because a lot of guys I, I... Absolutely. A lot of guys I know that come out of school, they're not as smart as they should be for what they've learned and it's not very practical in reality unless you're a furniture maker or something personal you know you sound like a very well-educated person i wanted to find out how much it really helped you i think it really helps in um relating to people uh so if if you find yourself being um, in a leadership position working with a huge cross-section of society and i mean let's say you're working from from somebody whose who's, you know, greatest uh, uh, aspiration is going to be to sweep floors all the way up to your clients who are maybe very accomplished people. You've got to be able to treat everybody along that continuum with, a, with respect and understanding, which I think is really helped by um, the awareness. I mean, university now has become a kind of a, a trade school. Really, it's, it's a professional trade school. People go to university and accountants and doctors and lawyers and stuff, right? When I went, though, the whole idea was um, you were, you were uh, learning, you were approaching a, a level of universality, right? So you had a better idea of how the world works. I chose art history and physical geography because um, the art history hit the main historical periods of society, but from a builder's perspective, and the physical geography you know, it really helped me to understand how the world physically works and to identify... Minerals. Minerals or, or yeah. you know, different types of wood, like Quercus yeah. alba, right? That's white oak. Once you pack all that stuff, that knowledge away in your tool bag, there's an opportunity to utilize it to bring a diverse group of people together to work together really well on a project. I think that that kind of background helps. It, you know, everybody's different, right? Everybody has different leadership styles. But I've, I've always found that... Um, that perspective uh, sort of helped me to articulate things that are common goals that maybe a, a group of individuals, you know, to help a group of individuals get online for the common goal. No, well, no. I'm, I'm finding from like Mark, one of the last guys we, we interviewed and like yourself, I'm finding that when you go to university, it prepares you to create great habits, getting up early, uh, accomplishing things, focusing, getting it done, you know, getting up early in university. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a habit. You would think that you're going to party and still get up early. <laughs> I think anybody that's gone to school and comes out and says that they haven't really gotten anything from it. Wasn't really looking carefully. Right. Well, I, th see I think there's something to learn in every situation. And I've told people from day one, you get on a job site. We've had all kinds of guests and other conversations we had on real job sites where it's how you look at the situation. I totally know, but agree. like uh, the guys that I've had under me when I was like a supervisor for other people's companies, you know, guys would say, oh, well, this guy just came out of school and he was in school for four or five years. And, you know, he's studying to be a carpenter and. I'm like, oh, this is going to, you know, finally someone that knows how to read a measuring tape and understand the tools. And I'm, and I'm excited, but I'm more disappointed after I get to, to see them handling or reacting or behaving in construction. And I'm just like, I'm disappointed that they don't have what it takes. And that's, but now I'm, I'm, I'm finding that if you go to university, but if you go to college, I don't feel like 
I'm, I'm getting that same dry, but know, university man. is kind of drawing me that people coming out of university have like management skills and people skills. And, and, uh, but you don't know, like, like Chris, it's like, every time I've met somebody, it doesn't factor into me. Your CV doesn't factor into me. Sure. It's just the initial conversation I have with you. And we start talking about scope of work for argument's sake. And then I see you on site and I let you be. And then basically you're given an opportunity. So now I'm not trying to breathe down your neck. I'm not trying to be that micromanager GC. I just want to see what you can do. Not everybody's great at every little thing and not everybody is better because they went to school no, but, or worse. But what I'm saying is like most people that just go to college are just going to college. Like if you go to college and you study something, be passionate and, you know, do 150% when you come out, show how, how much you put into it. Sure. So you know? let's, let's back it up a little bit. Let's, let's back it up with, with two items. One is too many people are going to university today, right? 1,000% uh, like, I agree. I shouldn't have gone. I, I wasn't built for that environment, but you did it to please your parents. I did it, I, yeah, I did it because it was a requirement. Okay. So fine. Okay. And I don't have any regrets, no regrets at all. And I met some amazing people and it has helped me, but also I figured I'm stuck in this for the next four years. I'm going to make the most of it. Exactly it. And so I saw it as an opportunity, my last opportunity to have access to really smart people who knew an, knew an awful lot about their subjects. Right. Wow. I mean, where, where else can you find a husband and wife team who've spent their life studying Greek vases? I wow. Never outside. Like, so, wow. One of the geography profs had um, done really extensive field work in Africa and knew so much cool stuff. It's not information you have to then go to the library or, or go to the Internet and look up. You can actually have an organic conversation with somebody who really knows their and shit. And the story is told through a different perspective yes. now. Yes, yeah. And that's what you value. So I think anybody that goes into any situation, you need to really look closely on what's happening here. All right, so I think the message is if you're going to go to college, don't waste your time. Put 100% into it and come out or of it with something. whatever you end up doing, don't waste yeah. your time. That's, yeah. Apply that's, yourself. That's exactly. Because I, I think some of the people that I've had under me just did it to do it and it was the wrong attitude. So uh, I'm glad that we got a message out of that. That's great. Yeah. Sorry. I had to ask. Yeah, and it's not just about, I partly came across wrong. Uh, it's not just about post-secondary education. It is, it is about anything you apply yourself to. You, you've got to apply yourself. Isn't life post-education? Yeah. Like, that, well, like you're not supposed, like everybody in construction always talks about how you're constantly learning. You should be learning. Every day you learn. Yes, it is. You should Every be. day. Every day you learn. The process of learning and challenging yourself should yeah, never end. That, that's exactly it. I, I've grouted for 30 years, and today I was grouting, and I ran into problems that I, in 30 years, haven't run into. That's because you're so, using so, tech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I wasn't. Have you, ever, have you ever done an absolutely perfect grout job? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I bow to you. Uh, <laughs> do you know who you're asking? <laughs> no, but it's true, and... But it's a passion too. Yep. Anyone can do it. It's there for you. Uh, you just read the instructions. And, and if you follow them properly and you care, you'll get that result. But most people don't. Well, there's a, there's a fine line too, right? I mean, um, uh, if, you're, if you're constantly seeking improvement, you can get hard on yourself, do a perfectly acceptable job, and then beat yourself up for the little imperfections. Or you can, you know, in a very zen-like way, go, 
that was pretty good. People are going to appreciate this. I enjoyed the process. Next time I'm going to do it a little different. It's true. Well said. It's true. <laughs> it's, that's very, very true. I want to get back to the kitchen cabinets. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Because I'm fascinated by some of the stuff that I've seen that you do. And I'm like, oh, and why can't more people do like why? Or is it? Clients are not asking for this. Oh boy, um, it, it, it's also the market. It's oh also the market. And um, when we first started showing in public, we would describe ourselves as being industrial artists. Okay. No one knew what that meant, and so we would miss the big jobs. But we could ask to go in and do a really unique focal point piece, so maybe a mantelpiece or the dining room table or something. But we'd miss out on the stuff that made the money. And so we had to, in order to be perceived in the market we were in, London, Ontario is a very conservative little place, in order to be perceived as a company worth hiring for stuff, we had to start building ourselves as cabinet makers, kitchen cabinet makers specifically. You know, the, the great thing about our relationship with Cardinal is, so Cardinal Fine Cabinetry, with whom we are in cahoots, okay. has been around for 60 years. Wow. So three generations of owners. The, the current uh, owners, uh, young, forward-looking, um, design-oriented folks. And Cardinal, for 60 years, has been really focused on manufacturing in London, Ontario, which is significant because London got really hit very badly in terms of manufacturing back during the last big recession. But Cardinal has been serving builders and contractors solidly for 60 years really with the new ownership uh paul and Lori, because of the design background they'd always been following us and so there was an opportunity to begin working together and it worked so well that we we simply moved under the same roof and it's been wonderful how big is the shop uh 30 000 square feet holy yeah. cow. F 50 50 people 50 ladies. that's some serious wood <laughs> yeah. You have wood now. Yeah, <laughs> 30,000 square feet, eh? But that's how they've grown into that over the 60 years? Yeah, so it's, it's one of those funny older places where it's... It just uh, keeps on growing. together, yeah. It just gets bit. connected. Um, and I don't think... I'm pretty sure this has been published... Yeah, I think that this was published uh, in an article last year or so. So I don't think I'm giving anything away, but, uh, but, but Paul is very seriously looking at a, a, an expansion. Uh, in order to meet demand and also help to streamline our current production processes. How is the market these days? Are we as, I guess, busy, huh? I find it really interesting to hear the prognosticators talking about this whole COVID thing, people being stuck at home and beginning to really dislike their spaces. Yeah. And so the expectation, as you guys are going to be well aware, is that there could well be a continued growth For sure. in the industry. They're not going to travel. I mean, they'll travel less. But I think during this whole experience, people really discovered how not well their homes are. Mm -hmm. They wanted their homes to be a lot better. And they're probably thinking, how do we make this better? Yeah. Well, I always looked at it because, you know, my, my family's European. So you don't spend much time in the house. It's, it's two things. It's a place to eat and a place to store. And yeah, I mean, you go to sleep obviously there, but it's really eat and store. So you're never home. You know, here it's about storing, like storage and showing off. So it's not practical. Like we talked about so many people own these massive homes and they don't even enjoy them. Do you really need that much? At some point they're going to realize, you know, I'm living in something I don't want to really live in. Yep. Or do, how far do I want to hide from my partner? 
Right. <laughs> I think every podcast these days, he's always giving up some relationship advice. And I'm just saying to everybody, do not listen well, to his it's relationship $68 advice. an hour. <laughs> right off the top of your head, Chris, how many, like, you're, you're pretty big on social. You're, you know, you got a pretty good reach. You're, you're, you're in, you know, you're older than Carlito and you're a lot better off on social than he is, right? He just doesn't get the game. Who else should we be following? What other t- handles do you know of that just guys are pretty impressive that they're doing work here? Because I've had, actually had a great time finding guys outside of North America. There's some guys in Paris, France, like there's guys all over the place yeah. that I'm paying attention to. I would definitely, definitely follow Siggy Bueller. Yeah, um, you mentioned B E U H L E R. Okay. Um, and I think it's just at Siggy, at Siggy Bueller. Steve the Woodturner. Okay. He's, he's a fellow who has been turning wood his entire life. He comes from a family of wood turners. They have been turning wood for 300 years. Wow. Yes. Imagine what he knows. And you can see it in his videos. Passed down, huh? Yeah. He, he's just amazing. And it's effortless for him. I wonder if it's still the same tools that where well, they were I, using 300 years ago. 300 years ago, they would have been using pole lathes. Um, I don't. I've never seen him use a pole lathe, but some of the lathes he's got are like classic, you know, vintage British industrial, <laughs> right? Like made in Liverpool out of real <laughs> British steel. Um, I could taste the Guinness right now. <laughs> and there are a couple of joiners as well. Uh, Joe, uh, what, what is Joe's? Uh, uh, the Lucent Crow. Lucent Crow. Lucent Crow? L L U C E N T Crow. Okay, um, and Joe is a traditionally classically trained British joiner. He only just recently started getting machines, and until then, he was cutting all of his windows, so storms, sashes, by hand. Wow. Yeah, and every now and again, he'll he'll repost stuff from a few years ago when he was before he got his uh, tenoning machine and before he got his uh, his his mitering machine. Wow. But it's phenomenal watching the skills these guys are working with. Anyway, those, those are just a couple. No, of no, no. That, that's why. That's what well, I wanted. I want to find those. Well, guys. I wanted to defend myself for a second here. About the what? reason I'm not social is that <laughs> I'm spending, I'm spending, I'm spending more time fixing other contractors' work. What year and, is it? And you know what? There's just so much work to do that I, I don't want to record it because. What year is it? it it's just cutting guys up. But saying that, uh, my social is this podcast. And where I do put a lot of time in with Manny here, not as much as Manny does, is in this podcast. So I, I think it kind of balances itself out in a different way. Well, I think, I think you guys are doing a magnificent job. Thanks, uh, Chris. Yeah, both, both social and with things like this podcast. I mean, I think this podcast is serving a real need out there in the industry. And I hope more people listen to it. Uh, I'm certainly encouraging people to listen to it. Because you guys cover a wide range of uh, subjects. And I think that you're probably representing the underlying values and attitudes that people don't want to talk about. You know, like the... I the, love the, it. The entertainment s- shit that happens on HGTV has oh, done more... Hey, oh, I was sorry, on there. Sorry. <laughs> has, done, has done more to damage our industry, I think, Wait, than help it. My <laughs> chair just got like... I don't know. Oh, you just got them all excited. Um... No, 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 drop it, Manny. <laughs> no, just drop it. No, have Let you, Chris no, no. speak. Have you, no, have you worked, have you worked with anybody from the TV land? Yeah, absolutely. Have you? Absolutely. I'm not, I, I'm not going to play any names right now, but uh, we've worked on, we've worked on projects uh, where, which were being designed by. That was uh, a great expression, by the way, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think around the design. Don't fuel his fire. The the thing that the thing that troubles me most is it kind of devalues the amount of effort that really goes into the final project. Yes. Right. Uh, We've worked on projects where we've been we've been on the project for months, and then a group of actors and a film crew come through for a weekend and make it look like it happened overnight. And That's sorry. magic. Yeah, but it also <laughs> changes the expectations of our clients. The number of people who approach us and wonder why something is going to take, you know, I mean, right now for the custom side of things, the area where Heindel and I are, are really focused, you know, we're, we're, we're probably 20, 20 weeks. Uh, or You're longer. 20 weeks well, into a custom kitchen? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we just started something uh, recently that, um, well, two projects that we're finishing right now, uh, we've been working on for over a year. I can. Love, can I ask? Can I, you, I love hearing that. Can I ask? Do you, do you consider yourself a master carpenter? Is that what the the, the term would be? So in Canada, um, masters are only recognized in some of the restricted trades. Right? You can become a. You can have a master plumber's license or a master Remember electrician's Kieran? license. Remember, Kieran? He was talking about plastering and things like that. Yeah. With with the voluntary trades and cabinet making and general carpentry are two voluntary trades. So you but can but we're talking trades. about you're doing something that's, I don't want to say ancient, but kind of forgotten, and only certain people appreciate what you can do. I can operate a CNC machine too. Oh, I like that. Oh, <laughs> that's oh. where the university comes in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you go down that road? You just well, in order to serve, before Heindel, before McCaskill Heindel joined uh, uh, Cardinal Fine Cabinetry, we had we just got pummeled by the recession, just pummeled. I had at that point seven guys on the shop floor. I needed eight. Once we once we popped out the other side of the recession and things started getting busy, we wanted to run with it. Um, I listened to a bunch of podcasts from Terry O'Reilly, um, Age of Persuasion guy. Or yeah. I guess now it's, um, I don't remember what he's calling it now, but uh, um, fantastic uh, um, uh, radio show. He gave me the idea that you get the, through the other side of that thing and you want to, it's like, it's like working gravity around a, a planet. You want to you catapult yourself. Yeah. And so we grew really fast and bought some new equipment, moved the shop, got super busy. So I had seven guys on the shop floor. I needed eight. Uh, we bought a CNC machine. I had a CNC operator. And then one summer, I lost four of them. And it wasn't anything we were doing because we, we had very low turnover. I mean, I, I have, I've had um, one of our oldest employees have been with us for 16 years. And wow, that's pretty serious. Yeah. And, and it, so, it was, you know, it was stuff like uh, one young guy got an opportunity to build a house out in the mountains in British Columbia. You know, who's going to say no to that? Another, of course another, not. My CNC operator fell in love with a woman in Sarnia. So he moved away for love. Fair enough. But it, but it means that all <laughs> of a sudden, all of a sudden I, I had two weeks to learn how to operate the CNC machine. So I spent the next 80 solid hours with him every moment of every day learning everything I could about that machine. It was, it was, it was necessity. And was it quick or do you like it? I love you, it now. You love it now, huh? Yeah, it's, it's another um, tool. It's, yeah, it's another tool. It's super efficient for the repetitious stuff. Yes. It's also super efficient for some of the simple but complicated things, uh, you know, I mean, problem solving. Yeah, totally. And it's brain gym. Oh, yeah, it's yes. true. It is. You're always solving, solving a little yeah, puzzle. Always, yeah, it's like, it's like cool. Sudoku. <laughs> so, uh, getting more to your business, mm. what, what do people come to you for? On the Cardinal side of things, the relationship with builders and, you know, let me, let me approach that from a different, uh, different angle. Cause Last year, Cardinal was recognized by the Report on Business magazine and the Globe and Mail as being one of Canada's top-growing companies. Good wow. for them. Yeah, uh, so big, uh, big honor. They were measuring increase in sales 
uh, over th the three-year period. And it's, you know, I, I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with McCaskill Heinel joining them, but uh, coincidentally, um, the sales that were being measured for that uh, award uh, started the year that we arrived. And so Cardinal ramped up sales significantly. In the early days, we were talking about marketing it as, you know, you've got, um, you've got the solid um, ability to serve the needs of people in the industry, builders and renovators and contractors. And now, if you want something really unique, you've got this piece as well. And so if you're looking for that faux shark skin vanity, you know where to get it. I want to see this faux shark skin vanity, man. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> so, so what Hang do you on, got? before you go anywhere, sorry. It's time for Green Book Talk. Oh, okay. And, and you know what? <laughs> Speaking to both of you, um, I'm realizing I'm just not doing my homework enough. So I've got, about? I've got these cheat sheets and I just read off of them and I should, I should be really focused. Cue cards, Marlin. Yeah. I should be really focusing on each individual person coming in and having, you know, a green book talk for their trade. So I'm going to apologize to you that I don't have that on this one, but it is, but it is a green book talk. <laughs> I'm going to have to change it about myself. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, the game. So it's first offense and you have to guess how much it is. I'm trying to change the numbers right now because that Manny just keeps saying 550. No, nope. <laughs> not true. Not true at all. So uh, my question to you, both of you guys is constructor failing to take precautions on or prevent damage on adjust uh, adjacent building or structure. $1,500. Wow. I'll go 550. <laughs> Manny's right, 550. <laughs> I tried to trick him. <laughs> so there you have it. And that was Green Book Talk with Cardato. <laughs> we are talking to Chris McCasco. Uh, you can find him at on in Instagram, only on Instagram or Twitter? No, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. You're on Twitter as well. As well. Yep, Same absolutely. handle. Chris McCaskill. So it's M-C-K-A-S-K-E-L-L. -L. And also you can find Chris Heidel. Heidel? Heidel. Heidel. H-I-N-D-L, uh, and also uh, www.mhdbonline.com, info at mhdbonline.com, and also his phone number, which is 519, the lovely London, Ontario uh, area code, 318-4800. We're having a fascinating talk about custom. This is really custom you know what i think this is more of a conversation for manny he doesn't what? even care about the listeners at this point <laughs> I, I know at the very beginning you hinted at custom and it's it's truly i i custom means custom like i can't get builder what do you what do you, what do you call these builders the ones that call themselves custom well, everybody calls themselves as a custom builder they're not that's not custom building right so you guys are actually going in there clients asking for something specific shark skin have you ever had clients ask you for something you just can't pull off or you just, uh, well, there's always a design element like this. So there's a design process. That's a lovely process. One of the, well, <laughs> <laughs> and that's another conversation. Um, but one of the reasons I think that Heinel and I work so well together is we haven't ever placed any limitations on each other. And so Heinel's background is in design. He studied environmental design at OCA. What's well, OCAD now. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never said that cannot be done. And so he goes out into the world and comes up with these amazing ideas. And when he returns, we look at how we can do it. Wow. And so it's a problem solving issue. It's huge. You know, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, sometimes things 
can't be done like that, but maybe we can accomplish that kind of thing by doing this. How is that battle when you guys are designing certain things and you're still designing a piece that's very functional? Cabinetry is still functional. There's mm -hmm. a purpose behind all of cabinetry. So I, I get that you want to create something beautiful design-wise, have certain finishes or techniques or details, but how is that process you guys juggling the functionality and the design? How is well, that? We, we, never, we never run into roadblocks with each other until it comes down to pricing. That's it. Because yeah. you got to, to the but, scope. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if um, gosh, I mean, if we can do something really amazing that uh, the crew has never done before, that's serious stretching. I mean, that is an awesome learning. An example? The toughest, okay, sure. We built a series of tables for a, well, it's actually a furniture manufacturer here in Toronto. One of them went to Chicago, one of them went to New York, one of them stayed here in Toronto. And the table had to be 30 feet long and four and a half feet wide. And it had to be completely, had to appear to be, like it was supported, there was a center wall uh, between the two gables at either end of the table, but um, it had to be strong enough that somebody could sit or stand or dance on the edge of the center of the table without deflection, which meant I had to put on my engineer's hat and do a lot of math and figure out the So static. how did you, can you tell us or no? How, uh, did, how did we accomplish it? Yeah, how did you guys accomplish that? It's really, really rigid steel. So that when, and triangulated, so that when force was coming down in the center of the table, it was being transferred into that center wall, which ultimately was being transferred into the two end gables because the connections between all the steel members was so sound. Oh, sorry. Sounds easy, right? You could just weld this thing up? No, because it had to be transported. <laughs> because it had to be transported from London, Ontario to Toronto. I was about to say 30 feet. Right, and, yeah. and it had to be transported, but also had to be shipped to one. One went to their showroom in New York. Another one went to their showroom in Chicago. Was the theory behind it is that when you were putting pressure on one end, the rest of the table is absorbing that pressure yep. to counter it? Precisely. That's how it worked, huh? So it was and like a bridge. Exactly like a bridge. Like a bridge. Um, but with the... Yeah, no, actually, exactly like a bridge. Without, <laughs> without, I was just trying to remember which way the forces were going. Right? No, because I've done that before where you're just walking around different cities, including in Toronto, and you're just paying attention to certain things. And you're like, how do they do that? How do Why they, is that suspended like that? Yeah, how does that work? And then you kind of figure it out, and, yeah. then, and then you put it together. And all of a sudden, you know what? I'm going to do a much minier version of that in my little rental that I'm doing. Right. Yeah, it's a little applicable. I yeah, like so, that. So, so, I mean, you know... The, Items like that, um, but then you know, how do you get that done in a cost-efficient way that hits? That's the big question. The price points for the for the various different people who are who are part of the the, the client's team. Ever, the ever had a client that just said, "No, that's just not too much. That's too little. Yeah, you sure. guys should be charging way way more than that." Only once. Yeah. Really? really? Yeah, it was awesome. It, it, well, <laughs> and then and, and we've done, we've done a few jobs. That we've done a few um, a few. Uh, sort of very prestigious uh, private club kinds of jobs where we, we were told we had to sharpen our pencils again and again and again. I and finally, hate hearing that. Right? And what I found out years later over dinner with, you know, I, I hang on to former employers. Uh, I also try to hang on to former clients. So I'm, I'm out for dinner with, the, with the, the person that we were working with and he laughed and said we were the lowest bidder. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. And he tells you years later. Yep. Yeah, so you, you, you can't trust these fuckers. You know what? <laughs> Typic, typically, when typically when someone tells me to sharpen my pencil, I double it. Yep. 
Grind <laughs> it down to a nub. <laughs> so if I'm a contractor, what, what am I typically buying from you? We do a lot of white kitchens with dark wood islands. A lot of shaker style stuff. You guys do a lot of that, really, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I don't personally, but um, but the, the production line does because that's what the market demands. And uh, and what's different about your product versus someone else's? The cardinal side of things, so the cardinal foundation, the decisions that we're making are looking at environmental factors. So we're trying to use as much as possible. Less? We're trying to, we're trying to use less. We're trying to make sure that our byproduct is being used again. And so... Um, Anything that comes out of the dust collector ends up getting shipped over to the East Elgin Innovation Center where they're turning it into compost and they're, they're right, doing things like that with it. Uh, so that's a big, there's a big research and Which is great that you guys there. are doing that. I like facilities like Brenlo does that too. They create yeah, the pucks. Exactly. I love all that stuff. You know, big change for them when we came on was switching to waterborne finishes. Uh, which Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because they would have been all oil. Yeah. Up until. All solvent, yeah. Yeah, so, Wow. Yeah, and waterborne's come a long way. Um, yeah, it's extremely as strong durable. as lacquer. Yeah, 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 man, it's good. Yeah, um, it, it took a long time to get there, uh, and it's still. If you're accustomed to spraying solvents, um, it's it, it's it easier. Well, it is now. Yeah, it is now. It I, sits better, I guess, on the surfaces, right? What'll happen with waterborne lacquers is you've got to take into account the environmental factors. So VLCs. high humidity. Well, um, uh, VOCs are always part of it, and VOCs in waterborne stuff, really low. Um, more importantly, uh, humidity, temperature, uh, that kind of thing. And so there's a, there are certain environmental controls that just help the process. Uh, we haven't moved yet to a robotic kind of uh, enclosed spray booth yet, um, but I can see that in Coming the future. Coming in the future. I can see For that sure in the future, you can. yeah. Because um, it just gives you, it removes some of the... Um, the human error portion of it or the uh, environmental uh, weirdnesses that, that can pop up. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, once you've ridden that learning curve and you've got the physical side of it down in the chemistry, um, you know, we're mixing our own colors and, and, and stuff like that. We're also using, um, in the custom area, uh, which is where the bulk of my knowledge is, we've been using those great uh, European oils, so Osmo. Um, th these bowls are finished with yeah. Osmo top oil. So it's a food safe oil, super durable. I've got it in my kitchen. I wanted to try it out before we started using it. And we cook a lot. We've got a hard use kitchen and it's held up great. Okay, so what's your background? Sorry, what? What? I'm just curious, you love eating, so I want to find out what your background is. Oh, um, sure, you mean uh, like culturally? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I was born in Tennessee. So, um, and Manny was making American jokes earlier. No, I wasn't. Was I? <laughs> Before we were recording. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's all, it's all good. I'm, I'm a dual citizen. Okay. Um, and uh, so I, I do my taxes in both countries. But that southern style of cooking means that I really like frying. Spicy. Yeah, I like spicy. Yeah. Fried barbecue. I'll put I'll put hot peppers and jalapenos oh. on everything. Oh. Oh, the deep smoky barbecue, oh, especially yeah. a real barbecue. Oh, you pit. must have great smoker with well, all these different woods. Oh, and, and then the, the next the next thing is um, uh, working on a pizza oven. Uh, yeah. So, so where I where actually I, I would suggest that where I really learned how to work was three years in high school when I was working as a pizza cook in a high volume pizzeria down the street from university. We were doing on a Saturday night. We would do three thousand pizzas. Wow! All by hand. Jesus. Actually, we have something in common. I worked for Mother's Pizza for the Blue Jays. Right. Yeah. 
There we go. Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. spinning dough all the time. Exactly, right? <laughs> I used to do it while people would be watching. So they loved it. What were you, um, what were you putting the, uh, the, the pizzas on when it was going into the oven? They were just pans, the... yeah. Yeah, but was it the, was it the, uh, the round uh, sort of mesh pan? Yeah, it was the, the metal round mesh. One, right? okay, metal, cool. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when I was there, um, I was there for three years, and each year we ended up switching technology. And so I managed to go through everything being done by hand. Like So you know, the prep guy would get in, which was usually me, Mix everything from scratch. Proof everything. Proof everything. Yeah. yeah. Oil and, it all up. And then you know we started slowly over those three years got a little bit more automated. Uh, so on the third year it was just far too automated. It was no longer fun. I left. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got uh, basically the manager wanted to fire me because I was putting double toppings on everything. Uh, what happened to be in the long run was the manager that re- like from the Blue Jays actually called me and requested for me to come back because all the customers said that the pizzas weren't the Where's same Carlito? anymore. Yeah. And I said, no, I don't want the job. I'm going into trees. And like, I wanted to get into like, uh, you forestry. know, planting trees and yeah. forestry and yeah. A couple, yeah. Anyways, went blah, blah, blah. Pizza man. <laughs> Pizza man. <laughs> let's, let's get into some, um, kitchen budgets. Sure. There's like TV budgets. There's like Ooh. real budgets. Then there's like fantasy budgets. Uh, I guess you're seeing fantasy budget most of the time. People come in not realistic regarding sometimes, although, and again, that's, that's a, that's an area that I don't really focus on. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, you know, we've got a, we've got a team of uh, 10 designer salespeople. Wow. Right. Who, who, who are really good with, with uh, getting the jobs and pricing them. Yeah, exactly. And then we've got um, two really custom guys. So Heindel would, would fall into that category. When I get involved in sales, it's usually got to do with restoration or some um, sort of high. Um, they'll still get involved in carving or shaping. What or is drawing. that? Just, just so Vulcan I would understand. Carving? Yeah. Yeah. So like, like architectural wood carving or, oh. or carving for furniture. Okay. Or turning or veneers, right? Getting into marquetry and stuff like that. Ilias uh, Polizois of the Wood Studio and, uh, and then Heindel um, really look after the, a lot of the custom stuff that comes up so at 20 to sometimes a year to produce a kitchen i mean what's the what's the average cost so that's for that's the custom side of things. that's the custom that's the custom custom size stuff yeah this guy's the this guy's the whatever limit. you can think of client wise design wise yeah but i mean sometimes so sometimes the fun thing is getting um a really interesting client in who wants really interesting results maybe doesn't have the budget and it becomes a, a fun design exercise yeah. to hmm. meet their creative desires as well as their very real budget. Yeah. Um, it's a balance. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was posting the other day curved burled ash doors that I'm working on. I haven't been able to touch that project again for a while. It's a lower budget that they've got. And so we're, we're working it into the just because it's it gave me the opportunity to teach the apprentices. So I've got, uh, we've got uh, uh, three apprentices on the floor right now. Curves don't come up very often. So by taking that on, they get exposed to a technique that they might not get exposed to again for oh, several wow. years. Steaming right? or shaping? Well, in this one, we did it as a, um, <laughs> so fantastic, right? Great. Um, <laughs> you got a f- couple of different strategies. And what we did was we took, we took this process 
and use it as one example of say five different strategies. We talked about the other strategies and then we also tried a couple of them so that there's. Oh, so you guys were experimenting just to. Um, not experimenting for me, no. but um, for the... it, it was an opportunity to sort of do a little seminar on how to bend things. So that's great that you're giving that opportunity to the kids because, like you said, they're not gonna. They might not come across this. It could be another five years before this comes up. Oh, I, wow. I went. I went eight years without doing a single curve, and then one year we had a dozen of them. So I, you know. I, so what is it in the market that's drawing for that, or is it just a eccentric customer? No, it, it's it's um it seems to come in waves. Right. I, I mean, I'm still waiting for the wave where get the, it in waves. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I'm you know I'm I'm still waiting for the uh, the, the the dark island and white kitchen uh, perimeter to disappear as a wave. But it it's disappeared know. on my planet. Uh, mm. Well, you lost them at Shaker. I've got <laughs> I've got to ask you, Chris. What what what's your kitchen look like? Very eclectic. So because we cook a lot, I like surfaces. We don't okay. We do not have a huge kitchen. I am not. So I know, but I bet you any money, your kitchen has is, no cabinets up. No, no, it's designed for the person actually using it. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. So it's not for designed for the person looking at it. Correct. Yeah. So you, it's very eclectic. So I, you, I got a piece of marble that I love doing my because I like making pasta. And, what kind of marble is it? Do you know? It's white Carrera. It's statuary. Sta yep. Okay. Uh, and it should you know three quarters inch slab. It's perfect what I need it for. Um, <laughs> I'm so hungry right now. On the other, I know. I'm getting <laughs> on, hungry. On the other side of the stove, and and you know, uh, um, several years ago, I bought one of those uh, big old big big Viking open burner things yeah. before they switched to uh, uh, Brigand or whatever it is. So this is one of those those stoves, like a commercial stove, where you turn it on, <laughs> right? it, the flame <laughs> flies up about three feet. Um, so you're waiting for the shuttle to take off. Oh uh, yeah, no. So I mean, so you can do some serious searing. You can do some really serious work. Oh in your skillet man, I love it. <laughs> um, uh, ash uh, that was reclaimed from emerald ash borer over here, just a big solid slab with Osmo top oil on it. All stainless steel with a welded in sink behind me. Everything's close in. It's it's um, we we had a, a great dinner at um. Cafe Six Twenty Three. Uh, it's in um, in London. No, it's in it's in Vancouver. Oh, and it was a small, small, intimate restaurant. Um, one guy working in the kitchen because there was only room for one guy. I loved watching him work, and so I kind of formed the workstations in our kitchen around what I watched him doing. So everything is totally one hundred percent functional with an open shelf running along. Perfect. Just for the one beside the stove, just for oils. Yes, over here for spices. Yes. I uh, knew it. Above the uh, where we're going to plate or wash. Because you're a plates. cook. No, because that's a kitchen. <laughs> no, that's and, a kitchen. Then, that's a cook. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, down below, mostly mostly drawers, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the most effective way to... Store For the stuff. items that you need at that station, that yep. area, that yep. is functional. Yep. I love it. Yep. And so then, it's not uh, hiding or storing things, yeah. Big, uh, well, not big, but um, uh, a bookcase full of cookbooks. And uh, a chalkboard. Oh, right. Yeah. That's so the, another major feature in ours. Oh, and, uh, and uh, you know, a rack with uh, more stuff and more racks. And I've always suggested. <laughs> from the I've always suggested the chalkboards, even making it to a whiteboard. And then I even started thinking around with the idea of just suggesting uh, touch screens and using that whole kind of thing, or, or all of it, right? Because yeah. uh, with, a, with a with like a, a book stand, yeah. right? Because sometimes you're going to be working from a cookbook. Sometimes you're going to be drawing, planning out on the chalkboard itself. Yeah, but sometimes you'll be digital. Sometimes you just screen. Yeah. yeah. And so we got all that on one wall. That's wicked. It's amazing. I, it's not the, wicked. I know. But the thing is that when you see these kitchens that are actually being produced or being manufactured or these clients that they want these kinds of kitchens, yeah. you're not seeing any of those details. Well, I, I love it when people, um, you know, you throw out the, um, 
you know, the, the idea of a 36 inch counter and Heindel came up with this years ago for, um, uh, a couple that we did work for and, you know, um, one of them super tall, the other one, you know, not super tall, but my stature, the tall one really, really liked to wash the dishes and, and keep the kitchen maintained. And so Heindel came up with the idea of <laughs> raising the cabinet up that had the sink in it to bring the bottom of the sink up to a level that was comfortable for him. Okay. You know, where the, the guy who's doing most of the cooking, uh, has got sort of 36 inch countertops throughout the rest of the kitchen. So the two of them just jam off of each other, one's handing the other plate. How much higher did he make the sink? About four inches. Four inch difference, and yeah. I bet you it's a huge world of difference. Huge world of difference, and it, and it made the, the fellow who, who really liked washing the dishes and keeping things cleaned, all of a sudden his back stopped bothering him. Look at that. Yeah. So that's basically almost washing machine, dryer machine height. True. You know, I feel Which, the same way with shower heads. <laughs> well, think about a think about a workbench, right? You you want to have your workbench up about elbow height. Exactly. So, oh, I fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even feel like we're even like just we're just skimming the top of you here. I, this has been an enormous pleasure. Um, I am thrilled to. Uh, no, this has been great to, having you to, here. To but it, guys. no, this is amazing talking with you. Like, there's a lot of respect here. Seriously. But I haven't even really heard of like we're talking about your your business, but like talking to you at the beginning about furniture making and how you know how much you know about different types of uh, woods. I'm just kind of wondering how that kind of gets into your work, and I just wanted to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I got an easier question. Yeah. When was the last time you were in Ikea? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're the ones with the catalog, right? <laughs> well, because you have so okay, much passion. Back to Carlito's question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have so much passion and, and for you to be interested in, in this business for so long, like, you know, there's a couple of things you said, like you had an employee for over 16 years, you know, you're, you're constantly uh, educating young people coming into the industry. Whenever we can, we take in high school co-op students because it's a great way to give them exposure. You know, they, they see if they like it. Yeah. We see if they fit in. What are your expectations from them? Like when Very you, little. when you get them, what is it that, is it just a co-op student or uh, do you have yeah. like certain criteria for someone? I've got a, I've got a, I've got a test that I do with people. I can't share it with you right now, but actually I wrote an article in, um, but you'll tell us after the mics, uh, stop recording, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, and you, you, you know, you can read about it cause I just wrote an article about it in okay. um, woodworking industry magazine. You'll find that some kids are just getting a credit. You'll find that some kids actually do have that physical intelligence and interest. What I do, uh, and I got, I got, I got different ways. I, the way I train co-op students is one thing. The way I train apprentices is another um, but, uh, with the co-op students, you give them the shittiest jobs, sweeping, cleaning the machines, and you keep them with it to see how they hold up. And if they've got the gumption to see that stuff through and not complain and even ask questions, like I'm always, I love it when, so we'll lock a machine out. We'll talk about how to lock things out. We'll talk about electricity a little bit, just an introduction. Uh, we've got some machines that date back to the 1940s and some that are completely modern and electronic, right? And so uh, the 1940s machine is awesome because there are three completely different grease fittings. And so, um, you know, you've got that, that grease fitting that you advanced by yeah. turning the screw, you've yeah. got the, the rate, and then you've got the, the oil drop holes. If somebody shows some interest, you know, we'll lock a machine out. You can open up this machine, do anything you want to it. Make sure when you're done, 
make sure it is sparkling clean. Mm -hmm. And it gives them the, they're, they're performing a service for the shop because they're cleaning the machine. That then, then turns into some maintenance because I'll come by with an oil can and we'll oil the thing up and polish it. And we'll talk about adjusting things and I'll get it running again. It gives them exposure to this thing that otherwise they would not be allowed to touch. Yeah. What do you do for the apprentice? Um, <laughs> I build them up with um, oh, the safety stuff is absolutely inherent. Okay, yes. So first rule, first rule is if anything doesn't feel right for any reason, and I don't care what the reason is, like you know you're having a bad day, you didn't sleep well last night. I don't care if for any reason something doesn't feel right, stop. Do not do it. Find a better way. Talk to a supervisor. Get some help. Whatever, but. Way too often I've seen people, especially in the past since I came up, started using that, that way of describing the situation, cut themselves. And the first thing out of their mouth is, darn, I knew that was going to happen. Right? <sighs> and so I like to encourage people to develop that little voice inside their heads that tells them when something's not right or dangerous. Listen to that little voice, respect it, do what it says. Stop. Just stop. And that's where everything starts with, with anybody who's on the shop floor. That said, co-op students never touch machines unless they're cleaning them. They don't get to actually operate them. And then if there's interest, you can get them signed up with youth, youth apprenticeship programs. So their co-op time actually counts toward their apprenticeship time. Oh, that's good. Yep. Okay. It's a win-win situation. And then with apprentices, I'll give them a simple skill, putting together a particular kind of joint, and they'll work that a couple of times. And I'll give them another skill, another skill, and then I'll go back and I'll, I'll give them five or six projects that require this one. So they get a little bit of volume, and then I'll give them something that's a bit complex and requires them to put all three or four skills together, but I won't tell them how to do it. This is like martial arts. Anybody here with a martial arts background? Me. Okay, what do you, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I took Hapkido for okay. basically yeah. my, my whole life. Yeah. Muay Thai, yeah. Kung yeah. Fu, yeah, but like Muay Thai and... How, uh, how long have you been doing it for? Since I was like six. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I, um, so it's exactly what you're saying. Like, you know, I, I give, I teach somebody a basic move yep. and then I teach them how to do it 20 different ways. And then once they've shown that they can put these complex ideas together, you begin to pressure test them. And so you give them, you start giving them deadlines and stuff and see how they handle under pressure. And so it's just like self-defense training where you work the skill and then you, in, uh, martial art background too, right? What? I, I've, got, I've got black belt in three different styles. Wow. Um, Sorry, I have to ask. I, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. Go ahead. So. Foundation is uh, Huichiru, which is uh, not, not too unlike uh, Goju, uh, but without a lot of the formality. Three black belts. You're a serious man. Uh, nine, actually. So nine? nine. I've, done, I've done nine tests, <laughs> um, but three different styles. So are you? So high, highest rank for me is Godan, a uh, fifth degree black belt. Um, with a, I've got a master teacher's certificate. Wow. You teach it too, don't you? I have for years, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I teach a quiet little Sunday Do you class. find it funny that what your martial arts is actually helping totally, all your students totally related, at work? Totally or not related. your students, but your employees. Yeah, totally related. Yeah. You know, it, but you, know, you can't talk about that stuff because it's weird. Yeah, but Why you don't want weird? to know. Why is it weird? I don't understand. Why? Um, the, the moment... Um, at least I find anyway, uh, anytime martial arts comes up in a conversation, um, uh, pe people who are, who are, are into it, all right, uh, get excited. Yeah. People who aren't, don't know about it, they get a little bit, um, I don't think scared is the right word, but uh, um, it just 
ill at ease. Yeah, but you carry it very well. I usually pick it up on everybody. Mm. I didn't pick up on you. Cool. Until you sp- when you tell you were speaking, Even and then with the tattoo. Come on. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't actually looking that close, but uh, now I do. <laughs> yeah, just the way you were speaking, I was like, this sounds like martial arts. Yeah, and that's exactly the model, right? And then you pressure test it, and and you learn a lot about the person. And after that first pressure testing, I've got a pretty good idea of what kinds of work I need to give that person in order for them to continue developing into a really good cabinet maker. So a lot of my focus at work is about you know, kind of looking into what can we, how can we help this person get really good at this? I love it. That's amazing. Seriously, <laughs> man. And, and you know what? People don't even probably know what you're doing for them at work until they listen to this. Because <laughs> you, you don't, you, do, you don't bring it up. No, um, every now and again, you'll get somebody who shows they have leadership potential. Okay. And so you start having more conversations with them. I've got somebody right now that I'm starting to work with that has got the educational part down, still an apprentice, but you know, has got all the markers for somebody who could run a shop. And nice. so I'm, um, he um, sees things before they happen. It, can... a, she actually, Oh, um, she, wow. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, um, uh, but yeah, she, she's got the ability to, to look ahead and is always thinking about what to do next and is always looking for ways to fill time. But more importantly is also always looking at how to improve things for everybody else. Wow. So that's totally worth supporting, right? Of course. And it's worth identifying, letting yes. them know that they've got this and that they should pay more attention to it. Is and she one of your martial arts students? No. <laughs> no. No. But might be one day. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. That'd be fine. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we got to get to uh, the... I just uh, feel like we're just We're not starting. at the very, very end, but we got to get to the end. Uh, I, I do want to shout out one more time. So uh, find you guys at www.mhdbonline.com. Also info at mhdbonline.com. Chris McCaskill, so M-C-K-A-S-K-E-L-L. Uh, that's on Instagram and also on Twitter. And same with Chris's. Uh, the other Chris is Heidel, which is I-H-I-N-D-L. H-A-I-N-D-L. Sorry, sorry. Yep. Uh, H-I-N-D-L. And then uh, your phone number is 519-318-4800. Perfect. Chris. This has been a very, very interesting. <laughs> po- like this is, the, I love this. I loved how you you have such a an amazing path to where you are, how you got there, and how it's all connected to your skill set. And, and I, I, it's amazing, man. You know, well, it's amazing. I, I feel like we're buddies and we're talking, and it doesn't always happen that way. You know, like you you talk about great things, but I You've feel never really, spoken to him. On no, this. but I feel really I, connected to everything you're saying, and I don't know if it's the passion for the industry or wood. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, he. Are you thinking something dirty? No, no. <laughs> you're you're the one last, laughing. Okay, but we do have one more segment. Oh, the 10 questions. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard this one before. I'm, si- I'm sitting down. I, I hope I'm ready. Okay. It's, there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. There's just um, truth. <laughs> uh, the first question is, what is your favorite construction word? Plenum. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. What is your least favorite construction word? It can't be done. Sorry, that's not a word, but... It's in a statement. Can't. It's, yeah, can't. What turns you on in construction? Wow. It's the idea of taking a diverse bunch of people and getting them to work together 
on wow. a single goal. That's actually very good. Totally love it when when a team starts to really flow Work. together. Wow. What turns you off in construction? The exact opposite of that. When you've got a bunch of individuals in there who Blinders. are only in, yeah, who are only interested in doing their own thing and don't give a shit about what anybody else is doing. What is your favorite curse word? Holy fuck. <laughs> That was really personal. Holy fuck. And I mean it. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of an on-site air compressor, and there's a reason wow. for that. An it's on-site? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, just a little portable or even something a little bit bigger. Gas power or electric? It could be diesel. That's fine. Ooh, and diesel. Because when I first started in carpentry, it was before the days of portable compressors and nail guns. And so we were <laughs> nailing down sheathing by hand. And I will never forget the pleasure of getting that first. Elliot picked up, uh, it was a Makita framing nailer. And what used to take me days to do, I got done in a morning. And it was such a great feeling of accomplishment. Love that sound. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you hate? I imagine everybody says jackhammer. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> People actually love jackhammers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, it's actually, um, I really don't like the sound of uh, tile cutters. That, that high oh, pitched. wet saws. Yeah. Wet saws. Yeah. 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 yeah it's Makes pretty, your it's, ear... It's wh- grinding. It's yeah. grinding. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I think if I was going through again... It, it, so as a trade, I'd love to be an electrician. But um, as a, as a uh, sort of a profession that's related to construction, I think a structural, techni- tech, uh, a tr- a structural engineer. Engineer. I'd love to build bridges. Can you imagine? Right? What profession would you not like to do? I don't enjoy accounting. I know. We're all in that boat. And Every, everyone and yet should yet really love that. And yet it's crucial. <laughs> <laughs> Most important one. <laughs> and the last one, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I want to show up and hear one of those great jokes. <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, the, the, the one about the guy who arrived a little bit too, too early. And, um, you know, so St. Peter says, sorry, there's no room for you. What, you know, what would you, uh, what do you want to do for the next two weeks? Well, we make room for you. Well, I'd love to be a, he says, I'd love to be a stud on a pig farm. Okay, kazam, now a stud on a pig farm. And St. Peter wonders, why would somebody want to get sandwiched between two sheets of drywall? (laughs) That was a good one. You got me. Oh, that was great. Thank oh. you so much, Chris. Thank you. Oh, what an a great show, man. Can, can, I, can I say one more thing? What? Go ahead. Sure. Um, it, it's funny you said you were working by hand. I, I, I got the privilege to work for the city for a little while and uh, got to look at, you know, 30 years of working for myself in construction. And then I got to experiment a little bit outside my comfort zone and do something different that was, you know, same old pretty much every day. But I got to swing a hammer and nails, and I'm a screw guy. Right. Um, and the only thing I nail is structural. I got to reinvent my swing, and now I can actually use a hammer like a real man. Bop, bop, bop. Like, it's crazy. Like, before I'd be like, ding, 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 ding. Now I'm like, bam. Um, another thing I learned to use really well that I thought I was good at it, but I wasn't, uh, because the city likes to use worm dries. Mm. So now I can cut plywood, I can cut anything with a worm drive, and I lost that 
ability to, because I got so spoiled by air tools, uh, table saws, and miter saws. I just felt like I wanted to share that. It's one of those uh, cases where um, y- you need to be able to, just because you don't have the tools you want doesn't mean you, you don't still do the job. It's, it's about figuring out how to take what you've got and make it work. And so that kind of cross training. Oh my goodness. I and, can't believe we forgot. And, this. and one, and one last thing, <laughs> and one last thing, uh, you being, uh, you being, you know, uh, I, I don't know what level, if you, if you are like a, you know, a grandmaster or if you're whatever you are in your, in your schooling, uh, for martial arts, when you said can't, and I knew that you were in martial arts, I thought I had to do 50 push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I was going with it. If you said can't in martial arts, it's 50 push-ups right away. That's not where I was going with it. Okay. I what? can't believe we've had him on the show, Chris on the show. We haven't even asked you about tools. I know. That's where I was going with okay, it. Okay, let's, let's do what it. What are you? Who are you with? Who do, what do you like? Oh, in terms of equipment? Yeah. Like, like I'm assuming... Hand tools? Yeah. Uh, um, I've been doing it too long to have one singular loyalty. Because that's truth. Back in the days, like when I first started, Makita made the best cordless drills. Woo! Right? And <laughs> then, you know, but I've been through I've been through everybody's tools. And what I've found is that everybody has one particular tool that has a nice moment. So um, <laughs> I love nice moment. <laughs> I love the Festool Domino. Wow. But, nice. but I, nice. I hate their sanders I, and I like their I like the vacuum although I'm not going to spend that much money on a vacuum um, I love, I, I love sorry, how I love how sorry, you're Tony. balancing the two no I love right? how you're balancing the two and, and it's true Tony's like he's all over those yep totally and but I, and at three thousand dollars for a vacuum Tony also uses a DeWalt 12 inch yeah compound miter yeah. saw right yeah I've got f- which Tony are we talking about Cordero TC installations. Okay, he was okay. on the show, by the way. Yeah, no, because there's no, there's more than one Tony. Sorry, in construction. T- of course there is. T- Timber there Taylor. Is. I thought it was Timber Taylor you were talking about. He was a Makita guy. Right. Yes. He likes Hitachi. the Japanese Makita. Hitachi. So, oh, Hitachi. Sorry, that was Makita. Yeah. So we just make sure that we've got all the battery platforms represented in the shop floor. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys just, everybody just. Yeah, and, and I mean, for me, I'm I'm a Milwaukee cordless guy right now. At the moment, I'm a Milwaukee cordless That's guy. That's surprising to hear, honestly. Only because I found their equipment to be... I mean, my wife and I, um, a few years ago on our duplex, we installed a steel roof, a Vic West steel roof. Yep. Came out of Stratford, right? Yeah. I'd do that again in a heartbeat. It was the best summer ever. She and I she and I spent so much time together that summer doing this roof. We, we hadn't spent time like that together since before we had kids. It was just a ton of fun working <laughs> with her. And... At one point, I drop my cordless drill off the roof. It falls 35 feet straight down on the concrete. It was fine. And that was Milwaukee? That was in Milwaukee. Wow. One of the brushless, um, the, 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 the newer ones that they've been doing the last few years. The DeWalt was inside hanging pictures. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, what I found with the DeWalt, or with the, um, so right now it's a DeWalt, uh, 10, uh, 12 inch uh, compound miter saw as the standard for us. I still like the general 350 table saw, but we've got a saw stop uh, on the shop floor, uh, courtesy of uh, Elias. I've got the DeWalt stuff that I use on site. Partly, I don't like the ergonomics. I find them a little bit too big for my hand, but one platform, one battery platform on site. It's true. Right? And some other... Yeah, it makes a big deal. Right? I like the cutoff thing. I like the I like the planer because I can just hook it up to a regular uh, rigid vacuum. A regular basic working all the time yeah, vacuum. Yeah, I'm going to destroy the vacuum anyway. Yeah. In terms of sanders, Merca's good. Um, so you I, got a bit of everything, huh? 
whatever whatever works best yeah. at that from from that company's offerings at the time. I would not have. I thought you're a Makita guy for sure. Yeah, I just assume that. So so I've got I've got a bunch of Makita pinners. I've got a I've got a Bosch um, I've got a Bosch framing nailer and a Milwaukee any, sixteen gauge. Any, a, anyway, any Hilti? Well, he's not into concrete. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've got a, I've got a Bosch um, uh, rotary hammer. He's teasing right? me because most of my collection is is Hilti. Right. No, I, I've I've had Hilti uh, drills before, uh, and they're great. They used to make a hammer drill that was just phenomenal, right? Um, a lot like the A the AEG from twenty years ago, and you know you, you see these designs sometimes cycle through again, right? I mean, I I've still got a half inch, three gear reduced. Sears Craftsman drill, <laughs> top RPM 350. It three, must be so heavy. Three it's heavy. It's heavy, and you can you can run a hole saw off this thing. That's like you know you can use the biggest hole saw. How it, how warm does that thing get? It gets warm, and it will tear your wrists to pieces. Yeah, it will just rip off. right out of the socket. You know, but you know, you need uh, a harness or how for about it. The, uh, how about the, the the Milwaukee whole hog? Right. Yeah. Right? You've got to take They're a step dangerous, first. man. So you use the outrigger or yeah. whatever you call it, that side. The handle. handle. Yeah. Put that you handle on there. Yeah, and hang on. Yeah. But if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're coring the ends of, say, dual posts, because you're going to do a steel post into um, uh, a relatively thin new build floor, yeah. and you need the strength that you're not going to get from the top, because, you know, who thinks about the next guy anymore? Nobody. Um, I do. Yeah, good. I, I, well, <laughs> I, I think what the key point is, is that what you... Everybody starts the job, but no one finishes it. And I think that the most important part is that you just need to finish what you started. Oh, and, and that's leaving the next guy ready. And sometimes just getting a phone call to say, listen, we've run into this. It might have an impact on you. I just wanted to make you well, aware. That you, that's that even a nice well, thought, you can, too, man. You can that price it differently that yeah. way, too. You're not stuck losing money. Uh, but what I wanted to say is uh, I've, been buying, <laughs> I've been buying a lot of Makita stuff at... Uh, and I'm I'm like loving Makita. Now. Really? Yeah. What happened to Hilti? You know what? Exactly. No, <laughs> no, it was last year. No, uh, honestly, I, I've been watching a couple guys on Instagram, and uh, they made a couple points and a couple things, and I was like, you know, that's interesting. And then I went to Mississauga Hardware, and I talked to Tony for a little bit, and he gave me some stats too that impressed me. So I decided to go that way, and now I'm just kind of like you said, the batteries. And but I'm enjoying the tools. I'm glad that we finally got that in there <laughs> I, because I, I thought we were gonna forget. We're doing that a second. Hey, we're a, doing a, a second one. Right? <laughs> we have to do a second one with you for sure. We're gonna get you back. We'll come I, to you. I'd, well, be, I'd be thrilled. Well, you guys are always welcome. No, we could do, we could do a, a shop tour. Oh, and, um, that would can be we amazing. do a balloon ride? Because London is really <laughs> good for balloon rides. So there was an accident <laughs> several years ago, and um, they just don't insure them anymore. Really? No, but you can still do them, though, can you? You can still, yeah. There are one or two companies that will still fly over the city, but it's not as... It was a huge thing for years. There was a, a really solid decade of enormous balloon presence. Last year, I think we maybe saw half a dozen. Well, was it? I had a crash in a balloon. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> I, Something about that. There, yes. there was... Uh, I was trying... It was Canada... Just before... It was Canada Day. Were you in it? Yes. Okay. So me and my <laughs> wife were in there, and... Uh, I had said, the guy said to me, Hey, like, you know, the rest of the balloons are going to go to the next location. It's going to be another hour or so. We're going to fly in the air. And he's like, this is the last chance I have to drop. And our van's following us. What do you want to do? And I said, take us down. And 
I guess he opened it up too much. And we went 14 floors down, and I swear, like two seconds, dragged across a spinach 3. field. 3.5 meters per second per second. My wife sprained her wrist, and uh, she was laying sideways, buddies in the, in the spinach field, like just trying to stop us. And then it was, it was great. At the end of it all, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have told him, take us down. <laughs> so we do want to say, so Chris, thank you very much again. And I'm sure that you're encouraging anybody that's listening to reach out to you if they've got any questions or if Absolutely. they're even interested yep. in being an apprentice or text, just text, work, text work for free, absorb that knowledge, pass it on. That's really important. We also suggest the same thing. Reach out to Carlito and myself. If you guys have any questions, we appreciate all the DMs. We appreciate all the guys that are listening and girls listening. It's better if you DM Manny. I know, he gets right back to you. You'll get replies I, back to. I put my phone down and actually don't pick it up until the end of the day. <laughs> so anybody out there that's listening to us and they want to be on the show, let us know. Contact us and schedule to be on the show. You're a poet. You didn't even know it. What? <laughs> Thank you again, Chris. Really appreciate it. This has been an amazing show. Enormous pleasure. Thank you oh, very much. So much for us, man. Oh, we're doing we, number two, Chris. We, do, we definitely have to do it. And there's like so much more to talk about, but I'm glad that we touched upon so much on this one, man. So it's great. Thanks very much, Carlito. Get us out of here, man. Again, you can find Chris at www.mhdbonline.com or info at mhdbonline.com. You can get him on Instagram at Chris Mascasco. Oh, I'm sorry. Chris Mascasco. And that's M-C-K-A-S-K-E-L-L. And also Chris Heidel. H-I-N-D-L. And the phone number is 519-519-318-4888. Oh, my God. Your beatbox is changing me up. <laughs> 519-318-4800. 416-TO, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. We're out of here. <laughs>